Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Hey, I'm here with John, and uh, we're continuing. Uh, We're really getting into this uh, conversation on Bonhoeffer. And of course, hey, can I admit that I just came back from vacation? (laughs) And when I vacate, I vacate my whole mind. (laughs) <laughs> and so we came back and we we jumped into this. Of course, the literature is vast dealing with Bonhoeffer. And at the end of our last podcast, we raised the issue as to the influence of Kierkegaard on Bonhoeffer. That one reading would say, well, that Bonhoeffer seems like Kierkegaard, in his religionless Christianity to be making an attack on Christendom similar to Kierkegaard. And there is, who is it, Matthew Kirkpatrick that has written, he wrote a dissertation and has published, and this is his whole claim, is that the key influences for Bonhoeffer, and in fact Bonhoeffer will say as much himself, he'll talk about Luther and in the list, he mentions Kierkegaard. And what Kirkpatrick is going to bring out, that actually going into Bonhoeffer's library, they've discovered, you can actually, and he does this in his dissertation, he just starts listing all the books that Bonhoeffer is quoting Kierkegaard. That is, that he has these books in his library, and I think it's Kirkpatrick's professor, who is Kelly, who also wrote his dissertation, or at least touched upon this, and Bethke was still alive, and received from Bethke, at least he was able to look at, Bonhoeffer's copy of Kierkegaard's library, where he had underlined that he had gone through and underlined, and so that quite literally he, in his work, has traced this. So we'll, we'll talk about that, but there is this literature And then we mentioned Peter Hooten, and John is going to give us a rundown on Hooten. But uh, just as I I have it up here, there's also, we had mentioned the idea of Kierkegaard's works of love as being a specific influence. And this has also been run down. This is an article by J. Aaron Simmons in uh, Religions. And he is also running this down, and specifically in regard to works of love. But I thought, John, I'd just open a little bit with his, and that might get us uh, started here, that he's just drawing out this thing that is there in Kirkpatrick and, and in others, but that to say that Bonhoeffer is not only influenced by Kierkegaard, you know, Kierkegaard's attack on Christendom, which comes at the end of his life, is very similar to Bonhoeffer's religionless Christianity, which is also coming at the end of his life. Part of the point here is, yes, there is a shift in both people, but that Bonhoeffer is looking at Kierkegaard. So, uh, you know, the, the things that Bonhoeffer is getting from Kierkegaard 
are things like cheap and costly grace. This is right out of Kierkegaard says that no one does manage to become a Christian at such a cheap price. And so the point here is, oh, that category in the cost of discipleship and the idea of obedience and a lot of the ideas then that they're very Kierkegaardian. This is from Simmons' article, Kierkegaard's attack and Bonhoeffer's rejection of religiosity are two modes of the same commitment. A refusal to allow the way of Christ to be reducible to a focus on one's own status, rather than a tireless devotion to neighbor love. And in this, there's a lot resonating here, and I think John is going to help us break this down. That is, in this statement, there's simultaneously an acknowledgement of one's own status, that becomes important in community, in neighbor love. He says, as Bonhoeffer so beautifully writes, it is only by turning away from the individualism that infects our self-oriented social logic that we can begin to live into the other-oriented love modeled in Christ. And this is, you know, this, the quote from Bonhoeffer, you know, he's read the Old Testament there is no discussion of saving the soul. There is no notion of a departure into the kingdom of God. And the point is that Kierkegaard and Bonhoeffer both suggest that costly grace turns one's attention from themselves to others and from escaping to heaven to being invested in the kingdom of God here and now. The task is to practice Christianity and here is, you know, the, the idea of a costly grace, a cheap grace in both, not to narrow it, narrate one's social position as having perfected it. And so there is in both this awareness of human broke, brokenness, fully cognizant of the, of the requisite self-denial that attends to neighbor love and taking up the cross to, you know, Christ bids us come and die. And so for both thinkers, embodied Christian practice is over and against a kind of triumphalist uh, Christianity. So that, just to set the stage, but John, I've said too much here, jump in. And so if we begin with somebody like Peter Hooten, he has then written on this and sort of, you know, this is the focus on the letters and papers from prison. Describe where you would locate him in this discussion. I think with Hooten, he maybe too quickly jumps to modern categories like secular Christianity, uh, even you know people advocating now for like a weak theology or a weak Christianity, and that all fits in with what is often called secular theologies. And secular theologies seem to come out of the the. God is dead or the death of God movement in the sense that what they're criticizing, maybe rightly, is an over-reliance in the past on the ability of human reason to imagine that we have figured out who God is. And so most secular theologies are still going to say, well, there is a God, but they're much more reticent about knowing that God. Hooten seems to want to take Bonhoeffer's categories here of uh, religionless Christianity 
and to make it fit in line with those secular theologies. So as if Bonhoeffer in the 1930s and early 40s was already seeing the same uh, problems that are later identified with people like that are later identified by people like Charles Taylor, that uh, secularism has made it harder to believe, or secularism has given us options and belief, and to read Bonhoeffer that way. I think there may be an interesting conversation to be had there, but there's not enough time spent on just interpreting Bonhoeffer accurately, which I think actually also happens with Kierkegaard in the same sense. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to read Kierkegaard, so it's interesting to bring him up in this conversation as well. And in the sense that both Bonhoeffer and Kierkegaard, and I think this is true to a sort of uh, Lutheran take on uh, what's going on ju in justification. God is the other, justification is extrinsic to the self, but there is also this component of obedience, taking a first step. Kierkegaard talks about it as a leap. Sometimes he talks about, you know, it's like diving in uh, or swimming in over uh, eternity or infinitude, you know, this sort of leap into a different perspective, which is not a leap of faith. That's not a Kierkegaardian phrase uh, that often gets used to kind of picture him as being fideistic in the sense. I don't think that's what's going on at all. And so we might read Bonhoeffer in that way, in which what's going on with religionless Christianity, or what, what the problem of religion is, as that article said, religiosity, is a problem that has affected especially Protestant Christianity and modernity, which is to say that we have imagined that the most important thing about Christianity is an individual relationship with God, and that more and more through our own hubris, we begin to think that we are the most important actor in that relationship. That's going to be problematic for both Bonhoeffer and Kierkegaard, and the way they see that manifesting in or maybe I should say first, the way Kierkegaard definitely sees that manifesting in his own day in Denmark is that being Danish is synonymous with being Christian. And so he wants to say, no, actually, you have to be obedient to the call of Christ. Kierkegaard is often accused of working that out in, in individualistic ways or being anti-church. Not for sure if that's fair in the sense that Kierkegaard seems to have always had these plans of going off and being a uh, minister in the state church himself. Not that he was going to stop criticizing it, but he thought that it was important to criticize the church from the inside rather mm -hmm. than the outside. He doesn't live very long. He's like, what, yeah. 43 when he dies. Let me um, complicate the discussion here, and I don't oh, mean, I don't mean to do this. And that is that, that both Kierkegaard and Bonhoeffer then, they're focused on a critique of apologetics of what we're going to call an ontotheology, or Bonhoeffer is going to refer to as an a priori religion. They're both dealing with that category and saying, you know, there is this supposition that you, you know this and you have this, that Christianity then builds upon this a priori religion. I, can I say so? Actually, I, I would interpret that phrase just a little bit differently. Not, and this isn't in contradiction to what you're saying. I actually think it may strengthen your point. And that's that when Bonhoeffer says a priori religion, what he's getting at is the fact that modern people, especially people in the academy, take religion as a category for granted. And he wants to say that actually for 
uh, say, the followers of Jesus, or even you could say this would be true about medieval Christianity, there is no category of religion. So that we have now created a space to talk about religion in terms of our own experience that is in some way cut off from other types of experience that we have. So in other words, we take it for granted that people are religious. And Bonhoeffer thinks that's a foreign idea to scripture, such that what's in scripture is not that, oh, we happen to be religious people and we need to fulfill this part of ourselves. And, oh, uh, we might do that through Christianity or think, you know, there, we can talk about God, we can do theology. But rather, he says, if there's no category of religion, what does it mean to follow Christ? Well, it means to be obedient. What I don't think he means, and this I don't think this is what you're saying, but is that sometimes he's read as saying is overthrowing, say, just traditional theolo- theology. I don't think that's actually what's going oh, on. No, yeah. uh, and I know you're not saying that. I just yeah. want to be clear that he thinks the whole Lutheran way of how you get saved, uh, actually, it's an awful way of saying it. <laughs> he yeah. thinks what it means to work out your salvation as a Lutheran. Jesus has come to you. You have an encounter with the word of God. Jesus bids you to come and die. You're dying to yourself. Uh, you now have this freedom to live out the Christian vocation, which is basically to mediate Christ to the world, in a sense, because Christ has laid claim to the whole earth. You do that in community. Um, he's not getting rid of that, but he, he thinks to say that we have this automatic category of religion, that we might even study comparatively or something like that. He thinks that's uh, totally misguided or unhelpful for Christianity, unhelpful for reading the Bible. And that's really what's happening in the German Academy and in the circles that he's running in at this time, which and used good words like apologetics would be, uh, you know, a way of thinking about that. Yeah, yeah, that you're going to appeal to what people know to convince them that Christianity is true. And they both seem to be rejecting that. Now, there's a bit of tension in, in here because the categories, you know, Kierkegaard seems to be talking about that you have to have a troubled conscience. He seems almost more Lutheran than Bonhoeffer on this. But the argument would be, you know, this is the sickness unto death. And this is, of course, what Bonhoeffer seems to be reading. Yeah, but even Kierkegaard understood that the worst part of the sickness is to not be aware of your sickness. There is the notion, you know, all, in fact, this kind of ties into our conversation with Douglas Campbell in contractual theology. You know, that, oh, it seems like you're given just enough knowledge to know you're a sinner and not enough capacity of will or knowledge to do anything about it. And I think both Bonhoeffer and Kierkegaard are, when they're talking about this a priori religion, at least that's where I was locating this, that they're both rejecting this notion that we have something we can build upon. It seems that they're both saying, no, we got nothing to build. Right. Another way of asking that would be, are humans innately religious? And they're both saying, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is actually a very Lutheran thing to say. In other words, you have to have an encounter with the word of God that comes from without of you. And uh, the proper response is obedience to that. Uh, which in an interesting way is not actually, this is a way we could talk about being Lutheran, but not being reformed. Also, I would just say some other key aspects of Lutheranism that I think are present here is what you just said, the sort of troubled conscience. Of course, that's what a Lutheran thinks the law does, is that the law makes life difficult for you. You, you think you have a problem. Uh, you know things aren't right. 
you're constantly being driven towards being unsettled. And then when you have that encounter with the Word of God, you recognize it as salvation. I think they both are hitting on that in different ways. Bonhoeffer, interestingly enough, to, to make the connection again to what you were saying, thinks this has played out in human relationships. In other words, that we're not in good relationship with each other when we're not being obedient to Christ, so that he thinks between every husband and wife there stands Jesus Christ. That, In other words, God's mandate to love one another or to exist for the other is borne out in uh, multifaceted ways in this life, but that's all Jesus. There's no part of that that is not the work of Christ for Bonhoeffer. This is, I think, there in Kierkegaard, it's there in Bonhoeffer, and it's there in the sickness unto death. That is that Kierkegaard is talking about, okay, there's a third term, uh, your self-relation to yourself, well, uh, that in the relation there's a relation, you know, all this real complicated language. And, of course, what he's saying is, yeah, that God's the third term. That is that, and Bonhoeffer's going to pick this up, and he's going to talk about Christ mediating all things to us, mm -hmm. that the world is mediated to us through Christ, not in some artificial way, but in the way that Kierkegaard is talking about, that your own self is mediated to you. Mm -hmm. That is, you don't have access to your own self-relation apart from the mediating aspect of Christ. And of course, this I just feel like both of them are looking at Paul's depiction. You know, this obviously, I always gravitate back to Romans 7. Here's a person who's trying to use the law, which is the equivalent of trying to mediate yourself to yourself. And that's a failed mediation. In other words, there's a split. There's an alienation. That's what Kierkegaard is describing in Sickness Unto Death, is that this despair. You know, despair is not the worst situation. Uh, to not know that you're in despair is the worst situation. But the despair is not that the troubled, necessarily the troubled conscience. The despair describes this incapacity to be a self, to be human. And th that seems to be where both Bonhoeffer and Kierkegaard are coming out. In a sense, it is Lutheran. In a sense, it's not. Because the problem in Lutheranism, there is the notion of a kind of idea of a troubled conscience. You know, we read Paul through Luther, and we have the idea, oh, well, Paul was like Luther in that he had this troubled conscience. He turns to God, and then, you know, his troubles are over. I think that Bonhoeffer and Kierkegaard, in fact, are going beyond Luther in this. It is in Sickness Unto Death, and it is in that reading in which we see, well, no, actually, the, the issue is not a guilty conscience in that sense, but the issue is a turn from what may, in fact, be an untroubled conscience to a recognition that we do have this capacity for great selfishness. And so Bonhoeffer will describe, oh, there is a love that is just an immediate love. I love, but it's just I'm going to absorb the other into myself. Mm -hmm. There is the, the kind of incapacity for neighbor love, for self-suffering love, for loving the neighbor as they truly are, which is Bonhoeffer's critique of Bart, that you know he thinks that, that Bart doesn't fully acknowledge, oh, no, it's just the neighbor that I love. 
in Christ, but it's Christ that enables as mediator for me to get beyond this kind of egoistic I to this neighbor love. I think I'm reading them correctly in that both Bonhoeffer and Kierkegaard are coming to a very similar, you know, I think Bonhoeffer because of his reading of Kierkegaard. So that here we're describing something that, yes, it has very much, it very much pertains to the individual, but it's not this pietistic individualism, but it's the individual, in fact, escaping that kind of egoism. I'm not for sure what's the true Lutheranism. That's an interesting. In other words, I think Bonhoeffer, at least, I'm not for sure about Kierkegaard. Bonhoeffer, at least, thinks he's being more true to Luther than the Lutherans on this point. But where this is, uh, there's an interesting similarity in, in what you're saying, the way this is borne out. And Bonhoeffer's little book on creation and fall, when he's talking about Genesis 1 through 3, he sees the creation as being undergirded by the most real thing, which is the word of God. And in the same way that things, that our creation is good because God has said it is good, so derivatively so, the free word of God makes human beings free, derivatively so. And this freedom then is borne out in relationship to the two trees. So the tree of life is symbolic that the, this life, this freedom, goodness, all comes from outside the self, and it comes from God, obviously. And then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the limit uh, on this freedom. In other words, you're only free in so much as you exist according to the word of God. And so it's that questioning of the command then that severs this immediacy or this perfect relation of human beings with the true and free word of God. But even before that, the only way you can even bear that sort of freedom, the fact that you are not capable of having life in and of yourself or cannot have freedom in and of yourself is through the other. So that's how Bonhoeffer is going to interpret that. Salvation then is all about just being justified, being made right with God in the sense that one is once again going to be trained through Christ to recognize life and freedom coming extrinsically from without out of the self. And the way one follows Christ in obedience is going to be borne out with the other. Now, that's all sort of Bonhoeffer. Kierkegaard does something just very similar in Works of Love. And that's the sense that Kierkegaard makes a big deal about the fact that Jesus doesn't say, love your neighbor more than yourself. For Kierkegaard, he wants to say, there's only one thing you can love more than yourself and do so non-idolatrously, and that's going to be God the one who gives you life, the one who gives you freedom, all from without. But the way you bear that command out, to love God above all other things, is by loving the neighbor as yourself. It's the way uh, you're able to orient yourself to God and then mediate Christ, you know, mediate the love of Christ to the world. I think that key similarity, whether that's a true, you know, I think Bonhoeffer is going to say, well, that's real Lutheranism. That's maybe not always the case, though, right? Uh, I mean, I think that's the whole point, is that both Kierkegaard and Bonhoeffer are living in Lutheran countries and saying, well, they've got it all wrong. But there's this return. That similarity, I think, is, is key to their thought in the sense of maybe Kierkegaard has more of an emphasis on the individual making this decision. He's very because that's his context, right? As people aren't making the decision right, to be right. Christian. Uh, they're, they are not taking responsibility. Bonhoeffer seems to want to say the same thing, but 
the failing in Germany during his lifetime was a corporate failing. It was the church fails to do to take responsibility for itself, mm. meaning to proclaim the gospel in such a way to the state that means the church would not be subject to the state. So that's I think a lot of this is being worked out in reference to that Arian paragraph. And, you know, the Arian paragraph really is about not the church, but it's about civil servants. And that's how it impacts the church, because the ministers there are civil servants. Mm -hmm. And the thing that he sees as being heretical is it's saying to the church that if you're not an Arian, you cannot minister or participate. And that's a heresy. I mean, just to say only one people can be the church. That's where Bonhoeffer's real problem arises from. Well, let me, let me his jump. response, can I just get to his response yeah, real quick, yeah, yeah, is go. to say he thinks the church fails because they capitulate. So for him, the mandate of the church would have been to say, no, we actually are going to make this conscious decision. So we live for the other and you can't do that now. And the church completely capitulates and fails. So I think there's a key similarity between Kierkegaard and Bonhoeffer in that sense, in the decision making, as you were saying, in the choosing. They do not choose to be obedient to God. Yeah, and I think we can overemphasize the sense in which he's just concerned about the church and the civil servant side of this, because for both of them, you know, this is Kierkegaard is going to talk about a uh, conquering kind of Christianity. Oh, the church triumphant versus church, church militant. Yes. Yeah, church triumphant versus church militant. Bonhoeffer is going to seemingly be picking up those categories. And he's going to say, okay, what is the church? What is the church for? Is the church for itself? You know, Kierkegaard mm -hmm. just waxes eloquent on how much he hates the notion of the church turned inward. And this is part of his problem with, you know, the clergy, with the land, with the, oh, it's all for itself. It's like a, a good corporation. You know, you, you buy in, you get your stock, and you get dividends. Bonhoeffer's going to talk the same way. In other words, the point of the church is not its own survival. And he thinks that's what's happened in Nazi Germany. Well, I think, the, yeah. Can I make your point stronger? Oh, uh, I think you're saying, uh, uh, in other words, I think he sees this failing in German theology making possible the capitulation of the church. In other words, you're right in the sense the instance that it manifests and that spurs like the crisis of Bonhoeffer's life is this Arian paragraph and then the church and even in the confessing church capitulating. But I think you're very much right in saying, well, it's bigger than that in the sense that I he's, I think, essentially saying, and he's going to use the word metaphysics later to talk about this. There's a certain kind of German Protestantism that seems to think that by understanding, or maybe not understanding, but by knowing or being acquainted with all of these correct doctrines, the quick, correct way to live, the correct uh, culture, et cetera, et cetera. They, they've already become the church triumphant. That's what Kierkegaard is saying about Denmark. It's like, you already think you're in heaven. You've not ever figured out how to be Christians. I think that is a valid, yes, I, I wouldn't agree with you there. In a sense, when Bonhoeffer comes upon the phrase, you know, Christ bids us come and die, I think he has this idea, oh, the church, this should be the attitude of the, the church itself should relinquish itself. That is, not just for the church, not just for Christians, but for any suffering people. And, of course, the, the Jews are those people in this instance. And that he sees this, that when the church failed 
to identify with those who were persecuted and suffering, he thinks it failed to be the church. I mean, I am afraid he's terribly inconsistent on that matter. In other words, I don't. I actually think for him the crisis isn't so much that, especially in the discipleship, when he's writing discipleship, that he's just not consistent on the facts that, oh, the Christian responsibility is to go suffer with the Jews. He's much more concerned with the church accomplishing its witness, proclaiming the gospel, and that's the failing, which doesn't fit very nicely with, uh, for example, Bonhoeffer has been repeatedly put up to become one of the righteous among the nations. Explain what that is. Oh, the righteous among the nations. So uh, Gentiles, people who are Mm non-Jews that in some way have acted through the Holocaust period. uh, I think it's limited to that. I'm actually not positive on that. Usually I've always seen this in reference to the Holocaust to save Jewish lives or did in fact stand in solidarity with Jewish people. Bonhoeffer has been put up for that designation and repeatedly been refused because when folks dug into the evidence, it does not seem like he was motivated by a sensibility that Christians should suffer with those suffering, or in this case, that those suffering people are the Jews. But most of his motivation seems to be actually that he thinks the church needs to proclaim the gospel, and it can't do that if it's preaching heresy. And to accept the Arian paragraph is essentially to preach heresy. I guess what I'm saying, it's not necessarily just a matter of academic interpretation. It's sort of, there's other investigations to his correspondence and to sermons and what he's saying at the time. I do think, you know, Christ bids us to come and die. He's saying in a very strong sense, salvation is not found within yourself. As Paul would say in Galatians, right? I have been crucified. Christ is now who lives within me. So you're not, nothing about you being a German nothing about you being reasonable, nothing about uh, you understanding Luther, nothing about you being able to present yourself as a good German Christian is what saves you. Christ calls you to come and die. Yeah. Uh, only the obedient believe. You know, this is this very strong, it's a theological affirmation, I think. And the question is, and I, I don't know that I have the answer, is, is there a shift? And I, I think that some would argue that there is a shift in mm-hmm. letters and papers from prison. That in fact, you know, he is prior to this, he, he does have great hope for, you know, the, the church. But it's almost in, uh, in letters and papers from prison, like Kierkegaard, when he turns against Christendom so sharply. It's almost like they both come to the same point. Maybe. I mean, that's a, so I think that is a valid way of reading. In other words, people have put that reading forward. Certainly not the only reading, though. Yeah. You know, that's the interesting thing. It's in, in his act and being and the Sanctorum Communio that he is already quoting Kierkegaard, but it is that he seems to come to a different reading of Kierkegaard, hmm. which is interesting because it, it's that he does what many people do. That is that he misreads Kierkegaard and rejects this notion of a kind of you know, he reads him as kind of a individualism and, mm-hmm. and, and all this. And then, I, but I think he also then comes to a deeper reading of Kierkegaard, which may in fact describe the shift that he himself is going through. That is, that's interesting. Yeah. I guess one of the things I want us to say is what we're, what this conversation is pointing to is that this discussion or a discussion about what Bonhoeffer thinks and how he acted is a distinctly Protestant discussion 
that is heavily colored by Lutheran theology and has little to nothing to do with most modern American forms of Protestantism. Yeah, I'll run that down for us. As I've, we get into both Kierkegaard and Bonhoeffer, it is their Lutheranism. They are both so thoroughly Lutheran, which is, in. I see this in both ways. In other words, for me, it is, it is a kind of positive thing. Uh, I think there is an aspect of Lutheranism in which, you know, especially Luther's turn against scholasticism, the turn against what I would connect his notion of anti-scholasticism with the religionless Christianity or even with Christendom. That is that there, it is in and through their Lutheranism that they're coming to this focus on an authentic person, an authentic humanity that is only going to be had through Christ. And so there is this profound, I think we can have a deep appreciation for Luther and Lutheranism. Obviously, I think there's great failings, you know, Hmm. uh, obviously with Luther's anti-Semitism, you know, we don't need to go through all the problems with Luther. But I think that both Bonhoeffer and Kierkegaard, in a sense, are bringing out the best of Luther. Yeah. So uh, one point would be Bonhoeffer is not in any way concerned with the individual salvation of a person or their going to heaven when they die. In that sense, Bonhoeffer doesn't resonate very well with American Christianity. On the flip side, while Kierkegaard explicitly attacks Christendom and Bonhoeffer uh, make similar moves, I'm not for sure that they have any issue with Christendom per se, but uh, in Kierkegaard's case, more so he has an issue with the fact that it's in his own day, the state church is conflating what it means to be Christian with being a civilized Dane. Uh, in other words, that I think it's probably more of an American sensibility to think that there's this innate problem with the church and the state being fused, and that we say those of us who, if you take a pacifist kind of reading about this kind of stuff, that would think of pacifism in those terms as well, that Kierkegaard is willing to go participate in the state church. He's willing to become a state church pastor. Some of that's because I think he thinks his own responsibility, like if he's going to say something uh, against the church, he needs to say it from within, which I think we can laud him for. But it, Kierkegaard especially will just say he's not an Anabaptist. He thinks that's sort of a heresy. So I think it's an interesting perspective to try to achieve, especially from our own stance where we live in uh, a culture where Christianity functions so differently. Can I uh, jump in there? Go ahead. With, with, yeah, go ahead. With Kierkegaard, in other words, he, he's not going to even count himself a Christian by the end of his life. He's going, to, he's going to say, and of course, there's a kind of a, a tension within him himself. He says, I'm not a reformer, and so I, I can't talk about this as if I myself. I'm just going to talk about this ideal, and I'm going to put this ideal out there. But then, of course, you can find in uh, his own journals and in the moment, you know, which is his most hearty blast against Christendom, he is going to talk like a reformer. He is going to attack the, the church. And so by the end, you know, he's refusing communion. He's refusing to associate with the church at all. He's, he's turned completely 
away from the church. Now, I know that's a, that's a development within Kierkegaard, that he wasn't always that way. Well, I want to ask a question. What are you, re- are you referencing biography in that sense? When you say Kierkegaard is, doesn't any longer think of himself as a Christian at the end of his life, what are you referencing? I mean, on his deathbed, he basically says he's okay. <laughs> in other words, he... In the moment. Um, the, the polemic against the church, yeah, but... Um, it's a striking acknowledgement on Kierkegaard's part that speaks directly against, directly to the possibility of excusing the abandonment of Christ in the very name of Christianity. So this is a secondary source. I just, I don't think uh, there's agreement on that point. In other words, that Kierkegaard has abandoned Christianity at the end of his life. I mean, he won't let the bishop do his funeral. There's, you know, he does, he is certainly not happy with the Danish state church. But in some of the biographies, he makes a comment to his friend that's there at his deathbed that essentially, you know, he's, he's dying in Christ. He's okay. I think that's interesting. You know, Kierkegaard is such a polemical figure. It's kind of yeah, hard to read yeah, in yeah. I, so I, don't, I, I think that's but, right. I think but, it, uh, is, it is a polemic. And I think he, feel, in other words, he is attacking. I think he really does count himself in Christ. You know, he does both things. He says, I don't want to be a reformer. I don't qualify as a reformer because I stand outside. But then he, then he talks like a reformer. Yeah. And, well, the same sort of move with practicing Christianity, right? To say uh, at the last moment, he writes it as a pseudonym rather than under his own name, because he's essentially saying, well, this is a perspective that I can't really claim. I, I'm not one that can claim this in such a way that you could follow me. So he thinks it's true, but he thinks it's the perspective that he's living into rather than the one that he fully embodies. This is Kirkpatrick's reading of the connection between Kierkegaard and Bonhoeffer, and the difference between them. Kierkegaard doesn't see himself as qualifying as a reformer, but he lays out, okay, here's what a reformer would look like. And Kirkpatrick's point is, and Bonhoeffer fills the role. Yeah. You know, Bonhoeffer actually says something like that when he's a child. He's talking, I say child, teenager. When he talks about going into the church and somebody, you know, is trying to talk him out of it, gives him all the problems, and he just says, well, I'll fix it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, interesting point. I, I don't think that Kierkegaard really thought of himself in, as standing outside of Christ, but boy, he was bitter. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. He, well, I mean, and you know, it's like a lot of it's personal for him too, in the sense that he like just personally dislikes the Bishop of the Danish Lutheran church. It was his tutor when he was in school. And uh, yeah. he thinks he's just a complete uh, hypocrite. The thing that, that Kirkpatrick and others are, are drawing on as a fusion between Bonhoeffer and Kierkegaard, and I, I have to admit, I didn't go into this, but maybe you could comment on it, is they're both attacking German idealism. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That is that what happens in German idealism is everything that they see wrong with. That's obviously Kierkegaard's attack on Hegel. Oh, well, we're going to make a system. We're going well, to Kierkegaard's make- attack on Hegelians. You know, I think we have to be careful in the sense that Kierkegaard actually respects Hegel in the sense that he's thought of this. He sees the problems, right? But what he really hates is people who don't see that Hegel's system is not compatible with Christianity 
and they want to do both things such that they're not very good Hegelians and they're also really bad Christians. And it's become sort of a social uh, thing to talk about. That's so, a very Zizakian reading of Kierkegaard, which may be in fact right. That is, yeah. that Kierkegaard well, I mean, he, is he very Hegelian. Well, he like he thinks Hegel gets some things right. Yeah, know? yeah, um, and that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. But he doesn't think Hegel's a good Christian. No, no, yeah. And so, and Kierkegaard wants to be a Christian. So I think that's the the split. But uh, and so once you get that turn against idealism you know, the idea yeah. of doctrine. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is, this is Bonhoeffer's attack against Bart and the confessing church that he sees them in a sense as turning to doctrine and maybe even the idea of standing behind the church in some sort of uh, volkish way. Well, that's that, the compromise that they increasingly make the confessing yeah. church as well. Yeah. And that turn then is a turn to the person not in the sense of a pietistic individualism, but in the sense that where this thing takes place is in people. And they're describing then the turn from a kind of theory to a real world practice, from a kind of you know, eternal truths of reason to a real dynamic difference in people in their inter and interpersonal relationships. So what I would say, I think that the, the problem you're hitting on there is right. I don't think Bonhoeffer thinks church in general is the problem. In other words, I think actually his point would be the church should be the place where this has worked out. But in his context, it failed. And that's why th this is de Young's reading in a sense of resistance. I want to make it clear. I think I messed this up a little bit in our first conversation. I want to make it clear that I'm not talking about the development of his theology, but really this appeals to um, how he's resisting. It is sort of his, act his actual political action and the where he thinks that needs to take place. So that Bonhoeffer starts with the church, and it's not that he thinks, I don't think that he comes to a realization, oh, the church was never the place that this is going to work, or the church was actually problematic from the get-go, that he thinks the church is the place where the gospel is preached, the word of God is preached, people have an encounter with the word of God and are called uh, to come and die. I mean, essentially to become Christians in that sense and to practice neighbor love. But the church doesn't do that. It fails so miserably. And even the confessing church fails to do that, that he then has to figure out, well, how do you then, as an individual, continue to do this? How do you stay authentic is kind of a bad word to use, but how are you going to be an authentic Christian when the church has failed? You don't have that avenue any longer. And so then within his own thought, there is a, a way of working that out. That's where he finds himself moving further and further away from like, why does he uh, in the thirties, early thirties, all of the impetus of what he's doing, his action, not just his thought, but his actions in the church to moving away from that later. Not saying that his theology is changing along those lines or that his theology is connected towards the situation that neatly, uh, but rather that his action is connected to the situation uh, that he finds himself. And that's what's changing. And that's why he has to operate in different ways as things get darker would be one way of saying it. State it succinctly. I've, I've, so in I've... other words, Bonhoeffer, even after he is no longer trying to save the confessing church, in ethics, does think the church is the place where God's mandate to preach the gospel 
uh, and how that then is received in obedience to love one's neighbor is worked out. But by that time, there is no church to do that in. I don't think Bonhoeffer gives up on the doctrine of the church or ecclesiology in the same way that he actually gives up on the church. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to tie, and I think this is what it sounded like I was saying in our first conversation, I'm not wanting to tie his thought to the situation as neatly as his own action. There's a problem in Bonhoeffer in that I think he's saying more than he envisions, and I, that was my point. And that is that, you know, in, in Letters and Papers, he does have this idea of a new language, of a shocking kind of language on the order of Christ that may no longer be religious. Hmm. He also, in letters and papers, says the church should probably just sell all of its land. The clergy should stop receiving any kind of salary. Mm -hmm. Or is he sounding very Kierkegaardian here? Yeah. Putin says that Beck uh, uh, allows, or at least says that there's probably two ways of interpreting those letters. They are letters to Beck. There's one school of thought that says what Bonhoeffer means at this point is a religionless uh, language, which would be more like a weak theology, uh, a secular theology, if you will. Beck, though, doesn't interpret the letters that way. He interprets them within the scope of moral action. Bonhoeffer is already making a shift in ethics, never published or even completed, so we don't know what his conclusion would have been. And the way the church should think about moral action that would fit with what you're saying, in the sense that he no longer thinks of it in terms about what are we becoming, but what is God calling us to do? And that's the way we need to think about ethics. I think this point's also key. It's like for Bonhoeffer, as you just said, you could scrap like the fixtures and furnishings, the trappings of the church, and still be the church. But it's still going to be a hierarchical church. Uh, in other words, he's, it's not a turn from the, the church in the sense that he's received it. But this is an open debate. So Hooten is going to go and say, nope, it's, it applies to the language. It applies to theological language. Uh, Becca thought that it applied to our moral action in the world as Christians. People are going to take both of those options up and go either way. It sounds like the language, what you just quoted, seems to fit with, well, it really has to do more with the church's action in the world than it does with theology. I'm more comfortable with that, but I don't know if that's my own bias towards just not wanting to do a secular theology, not wanting Bonhoeffer to do a secular theology. So I yeah. think that is sort of a lie. This is a big debate, apparently. It's, a, it's not worked out. There's no way to work it out. He doesn't say what he means. Yeah, so yeah. it's interpreting what he's saying here with earlier stuff. The problem, at, at the other side of this, is that he also talks about 1,900 years of Christianity that has had this sort of misfocus. And he even goes back to the Apostles' Creed. And Where does he, he says, do this? Is this in a letter? This is in uh, letters and papers. Okay. And he says the Apostles' Creed begins with the wrong question. It's not what should you believe. The, the point is that he does see himself describing the development of something new. Now, I don't think it's, uh, you know, does that necessarily what you're calling a secular? Well, I was just going to say, doesn't that fit with what I'm saying, though? That he's identifying the question not as what should you believe, but how should you act in the world? Mm -hmm. Which is essentially, he doesn't want to scrap doctrine. He does not. 
This is the problem. People say he just wants to scrap basic traditional Christian doctrine. Uh, that's what a secular theology does. It says this stuff's too hard to believe. Mm -hmm. There's no evidence for all this stuff. It's just a, what the church has accrued over all this time. I don't think Bonhoeffer wants to do that at all. I think he, as you just said, he does want to shift the conversation mm -hmm. in ethics. And that's what he, the whole work is about, shifting the conversation from basically, what am I becoming? How, how ought I to live based on my beliefs mm -hmm. to what is God calling us to do? I never thought letters and papers from prison is, a, is an opting out of his call to a costly discipleship. In other words, if, if people are reading secular, they're reading that secular Christianity as, oh, well, the heck yeah. with the whole thing at all. Uh, no, I think that, in fact, it's very Kierkegaardian in that, no, it's, uh, the pressure is on. Yeah, to, so another way of saying that is I would say Letters and Papers of Prison does not negate his Christology. Yeah, yeah. Whatever he's doing in Letters and Papers to Prison it doesn't negate discipleship either because he says he's standing by that work. That is in a letter. <laughs> I stand by this work, even though it's a dangerous work. Same time period, in other words, what I'm trying to say. So he himself is not making a departure from his earlier works, even as he's writing these letters that are often taken to be something extremely radical. So in that sense, I don't think he's also uh, engaging in something. Well, he's definitely not engaging in something that is making Christianity individualistic. And so yeah. I don't think he's leaving ecclesiology behind either. Now, whether or not, yeah, does he does he care about the trappings of the church? Probably not at this point. No, but he cares about the world. Yeah, well, that's because his Christology is that Christ has a claim on the world. Yeah. See, that's with ethics. And, and this is the part where, I mean, I'm actually curious, would you go along with this? I mean, he's basically saying, so this fits with Lutheran justification too, by the way you're justified to go find your vocation in the world. The question is not, how do you become a saint? The question is, how do you believe? How do you have faith? And that's essentially how you're obedient, according to this um, command, which is to come and die and be justified by Christ, who mediates all this to you. Part of the Nazi problem, the Nazi Lutherans, mm -hmm. is they are taking Luther's idea of the two kingdoms very seriously. Yeah. And they want the church to obey the state, just like Paul told us to. But that's not what the two kingdoms are. So this right, is this is what right. Bonhoeffer's working through. Right, You're exactly right. right. That's yeah. what he thinks is the problem, even in discipleship, is basically that all of these Lutherans that want to be Nazis mm -hmm. are saying, hey, we're good Lutherans, see how this works. Right, right. And so Bonhoeffer he, wants to say, that's not what Luther meant. That's not what Luther is calling us to. Right, right. You know, so he's absolutely. nuancing it. And we, I think we worked this out. And yeah. so a way of getting around this, and I'm not sure it's there in Bonhoeffer, and I'm maybe reading into him, is through an inaugurated eschatology. Well, maybe, maybe. Actually, probably in the sense that, yes, in a sense that he thinks the kingdom already has, the church and the kingdom participate in one another. Sure, absolutely. And he ultimately thinks that that's the ultimate thing. That's the point of all this, of life, of Christianity, of loving your neighbor. Absolutely, yeah. But he also thinks that there's penultimate things. So he, he's going to talk about the ultimate, which is justification, reconciliation, Christ being all in all, basically uh, Christ's claim being manifest. So he, he thinks that it's already true that Christ's claim to the world and everyone in it is the actual reality of all things. Because remember, he thinks that the word of God 
is more real than anything else. And the word of God has proclaimed salvation in Christ. So that's the most real thing. Uh, but he also has a way of talking about penultimate things, which is simply to say that we are still commanded to go preach that gospel. Uh, we're still commanded to go proclaim that gospel because reality is not necessarily conformed. Uh, this is sort of your work, actually. I think you have the way of talking about this. The world is a construct that is not synonymous with the kingdom of God, so that we have a way of living that uh, does not actually bear out Christ's claim on all things. He has trouble with spatial metaphors. Meaning well, run that, that down. Run um, that down. Well, I was just kind of reading about it recently, but in ethics, he tries to get away from it, the sort of space of the church, space of the world, and, and tries to talk about them as together, which is mm -hmm. what I think maybe you're saying by an inaugurated eschatology. But there's still this problem of the fact that when you look around, the kingdom of God is not, in fact, the case. <laughs> I mean, there's, mm -hmm. uh, and so he's working through that, but he thinks that the church is proclaiming the real truth of all things the gospel, as you would say, I think, in inaugurated eschatology in that sense, yes. Mm -hmm. That the word of the true word of God is what is the most real thing about creation. Okay. Yeah, I, I like it. I like where we went. Uh, I think we ran down that there is this connection between Kierkegaard and Bonhoeffer. I think we can read Bonhoeffer as his religionless Christianity as being on the order of Kierkegaard's critique of Christendom. Obviously, you're not going to have the two thinkers come into concordance or, or total agreement, but it is amazing the degree to which they do fit together, and that's the work of Kirkpatrick. Yeah, yeah. Kirkpatrick runs down even the revolution in uh, Denmark hmm. and what is happening in Germany. Germany. And that Kierkegaard's reaction to that and Bonhoeffer's reaction to the events of, you know, the war and mm -hmm. Nazism, that that context even set, there's a similarity in their response to the church's reaction and the failure, the giving in, in those two situations. So, hey, this is, man, it's amazing how we can just clear up the problems <laughs> in the world. We can answer all of the issues. Uh, <laughs> I always perceive that my understanding uh, uh, must be correct and that <laughs> it's shared. <laughs> All right, next time we'll take up martyrdom. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.